Let's get ready to open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. So Genesis 12, we will be reading the whole chapter, verses 1 through 20. Good morning. Good to have you here. It's great to have people in the room. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And there he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued the Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. And as we consider what you have to say to us today, may you minister to us. May you bless us. May you give us understanding. May you teach us things. May we behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have here uh, a new section 
As we have gone through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we have seen the creation of the universe, the fall of man, the flood, the attempted construction of the Tower of Babel, which in reality was a coup or an overthrow attempt against God by man. And we see that the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I don't know if you realize this, cover about 2,000 years from creation until this point in time. But beginning with chapter 12, chapter 12 through 50 in the book of Genesis covers the lives of four men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's the rest of the book. The next 13 chapters cover the life of Abraham. But the whole rest of the New Testament from this point forward to the end of the book, to the end of the Old Testament, covers the next 2,000 years. So the first 2,000 years, Genesis chapters 1 through 11, the next 2,000 years from here to the end of the Old Testament. It's interesting to understand that and to think it. You know, we don't have a lot of the history recorded in Genesis 1 through 11, only the things that were necessary for us, but we do know that twice uh, man had gotten to such a place in his existence before God that first God had to destroy the earth uh, through Noah via the flood. And then of course at the Tower of Babel, God judged mankind and confused the languages and spread people throughout the whole earth. So now we come here to the subject of the rest of the book of Genesis. And we begin here in chapter 12, verse one, with the call of Abram. And so the Lord says in verse one to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So remember God first spoke to Abram back when he was in Ur of the Chaldees with his father and we saw that back in Acts, uh, rather forward in Acts chapter seven where Stephen gives us that insight and he said, brethren and fathers listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. So that's not recorded for us in the book of Genesis, but apparently God spoke to Abraham prior to this point in his life. And remember, uh, Abraham lived in uh, his father Terah's house and this was a patriarchal society and so families lived together, they dwelt very closely together. And it says in 1131, and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai his, and his son Abram's wife, and they went with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So they didn't make it to Canaan, they ended up in the land of Haran, and that's where God first spoke uh, to Abram and just you know, told him, I have a plan for your life. And the amazing thing about this is uh, that Abram was living in an idolatrous society. His father, we're told, via other scriptures, was an idolater himself. And so it's interesting how God reaches into families and into people's lives and speaks to them in places of calling upon their life. 
You know, God calls people in all sorts of ways, doesn't he? He may speak to a person while they're out in the backside of the desert, as God did to Moses. He may speak to someone who's living in a pagan and idolatrous family. He may speak to someone who's living and being raised in a godly family. In this particular case, God decided to reach down and to speak to Abram. And I'd like to share something with you here that I think is very significant about the call of God uh, on Abram. The country was the region of his dwelling, the family was his clan, and his father's house was where he had responsibility and leadership. Upon the death of Terah, his father, Abram would have become the leader of the family group. God's commands to Abram were intensely demanding because they caused him to leave his place, to leave his clan, to leave his family in a world where such actions simply were not done. Only the landless and the fugitive would move about and leave their ancestral homes, but Abram was told by God to leave everything. So when God spoke to Abram, you need, we need to understand this was not just a casual thing. Think about that this is in a time when God's word had not been written God's word had only been spoken verbally to human hearts. And we've already seen some of this as we've looked at how God interacted with Adam and how God must have interacted with, with Abel, certainly how he interacted with Cain, how God spoke to Moses, how God spoke to Seth. And we've, we've looked at these things and, and this is God speaking directly to his people. And so here God speaking to Abram, issuing a call upon his life, now a second time, God speaking to Abram uh, here and urging him to get out and to leave his family. The call of God on his life, the word of God to him was utterly against the grain. And listen, when God speaks to us, often isn't this the way it is? He's calling us to go against the grain, to go against the world. In some respects even, to go against our families. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said this to someone who said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. There are many who believe that Abram should have followed the call of God when God first spoke to him back in Ur of the Chaldees. But God being the gracious God that he is, often will repeat himself. In fact, if you're a parent of children, or you have been, you know that many times you have to repeat yourself, don't you? You have to tell them over and over and over what they should do and how they should do it. And it's no different in our relationship with the Lord. Thank God for his graciousness toward us. So Abram probably should have obeyed the first time that God spoke to him, but he chose to stay with his father and in his father's house. 
And then when his father passed away, then God spoke to him again and gave him this same command, but this time he gave it to him in greater detail. So we'd like to take a moment and look at the seven parts of this command as God gave it to Abram here in verses one through three. First of all, God said, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So God commanded Abram to get out, to leave his comfort zone, to leave his family, to leave his clan, to leave the place of honor and authority that a person in his position would have typically assumed as the, the new patriarch of a large family given that his father had just passed away. This was no small issue to Abram or to anyone who would have been in his situation. And then God said, I will bless you. God is promising directly to Abram that he would bless him. One person wrote this about the blessing of God. The blessing of God is his smile, the warmth of his pleasure. The Lord's promise of his personal blessing to Abram and Sarai included the benefits of a long and a healthy life, plus the wealth and the importance that God would bring upon the life of Abram. Next, number three, I will make you a great nation and will make your name great. Remember back at the Tower of Babel, the people as they rose up against God said, we will make a, na a great name for ourselves. But we saw what happened there as they rose up in their pride saying that they would make a great name for themselves. Isn't it much better like Abram to wait for God to come and to say, I will make a great name for you. I will make your name great. And certainly God would make the name of Abraham great. Even people who don't know the Lord know of Abraham. They know of his story. They know in some respect uh, often that he was the father of faith in the Old Testament. And God uh, chose to make the name of Abraham to have high honor among all people throughout the ages. Number four, and you shall be a blessing. This isn't God just making a statement. This is actually written as a command. Abram was under divine orders to be a blessing to other people. And Abram did this whenever he told other people about God, whenever he bore witness and bore testimony to the God who was calling him and blessing him. He no doubt was likely sharing with people that God had spoken to him and that God had given him specific instructions. But I'm sure as he said that, that he was making great the name of the Lord. And you, you see here in this, this fourth one, you shall be a blessing, that in like manner to us, we are blessed by the Lord in order that we might be a blessing to others. Isn't this true? The grace of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. We've been given the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Our names are written in the book of heaven. Aren't these things great? Aren't they blessings? And aren't we to share that blessing with other people? And in whatever way we can see in our lives that God has blessed us, we are to be a blessing to others. You see, God commanded Abraham that he should be a blessing to other people. And then God went on to say, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. 
You see, God is saying here as well, not only will I uh, take care of things that, you know, if, if you bless people and of course they're blessing you and that, that's a wonderful thing when we're being a blessing and other people are being a blessing back. But those who curse you, God is saying here, and listen to this, some of us need to hear this this morning, God would protect Abram and Sarah. In other words, we are not to take matters into our own hands, especially when things go wrong, and especially when people hurt us, especially when they deceive us and do wrong and hateful and hurtful things to us. Remember the Lord said later, vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. So God will take care of things. I remember Pastor Chuck used to say, God will take care of things, but if you want to defend yourself, God will let you. And usually we find ourselves in a place, if we decide we want to defend ourselves, where God says to us, how's that working out for you? Because when we take matters into our own hands, we rob God of what he wants to do for us. And then finally, number seven, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How in the world would God take an elderly man, 75 years old, and his wife, 65 years old, and at this point his lifespans were being shortened, they're, they're a good ways into their lives. How would God take these two people, a barren people who weren't able to have children, and through them bless all the families of the earth. Well, certainly some of the things we've just read, God said he would bless Abram and he wanted Abram to be a blessing to other people. But God would put a blessing on Abraham's life in such a way that through him and through his descendants, not only would the Jewish people be born and, and be given a land and be called to stand up for the name of God, but ultimately through Abraham's descendants would come the Messiah, the one we now know to be our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's through Abraham's lineage that the word of God would come to planet Earth. It's from his descendants that they would begin to actually write the scriptures that we hold in our hands. And thus, God saying, in, all, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So through Abraham, great blessing. When God makes a covenant, he enters into an agreement to commit himself to give what he promises, and this is purely an act of grace. You see, this is the beginning, but not the end of what we call the Abrahamic covenant, where God spoke to Abraham and began to tell him things that he would give him, things that he would do to him and through him. This is only a piece but this is the beginning. And God made this covenant. God re reached out. God initiated. Abraham responded. God committed himself to give what he promised to give. Notice that Abraham, as a pagan dwelling in a foreign land where God sought him out, God called him, that this is a pure act of God's grace. And so it is with every single person who believes in the name of God and in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a pure act of grace. These are things that are difficult for us to understand, but we must embrace them. We must give thanks for God's 
divine and sovereign election. And how do we understand free will? Well, it's in the Bible. God says whosoever will. But God is sovereign over all of these things. And we should be grateful that God has chosen to speak to us, that he put his finger upon us, that he pointed us out and called us out. Notice as God was calling Abraham here in these few verses, that God did not give Abraham reasons or explanations. He simply gave promises. God didn't give reasons or explanations. He just gave promises. God promised to do the possible with the impossible. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So why did God call Abram and Sarah? What are some of the possible reasons? Well, first of all, as is true with anyone, God loved them and he wanted them to be saved. God also, we know, as we know the rest of the story, he had a purpose and a plan from, for their lives as revealed in the promises that he gave to them. We know that Abraham was to be the father of faith and to be an example of all who would walk in faith. And we know that Abraham obeyed when he did not know where or how or when or why God would do what he was wanting to do. Let me read that again. Abraham obeyed when he did not know where or how or when or why God would do what he was wanting to do. So Abraham became for us a role model. Abraham became an example of obedience, an example of faithfulness. True faith is based on the word of God. True faith always leads to obedience. Abram obeyed and departed with the sole promise of God as his motivation for moving forward in life. Is this enough for you and me as God's word enough as he speaks it to us as we read it in the Holy Scriptures? as he speaks to us in prayer, is his word enough for me, for you? Do we need more? Abram was 75 years old when he decided in faith to step out and to trust God. Now he lived 100 more years. He lived to 175. But you see, when God called Abram, he didn't call him in the prime of his life. He didn't call him at 15 or 20 or 25 or 30. He called him at 75. God has a history of these kinds of things, doesn't he? He called Moses when he was what, 80 years old? And so we should understand that God has plans for our lives and that even if we missed it, even if we ignored it, even if we weren't obedient to the word that God has spoken to us in the past, God is still speaking. God is still calling. God is still giving a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and an nth chance 
for us to respond to the call of his voice, to the prompting of his Holy Spirit. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram obeyed. He decided to listen to the voice of God, as crazy as it may have sounded. And I want to sensitize you to something this morning. When you read the, the word of God, and when you see uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit speaking to people, giving them a word, giving them a command, stop and consider as you read it the nature of that word, the nature of that command. Think about it. Think, put yourself in the shoes of that person who is hearing the word of God spoke to them. And then the decision-making process, am I going to do this? Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to heed and listen to the voice of God in my own life? Will I do what he says? Will I do what the word of God says? Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions. This was no small feat. I mean, today we may think moving is tough. They went into a nomadic lifestyle with everything they owned, all of their servants, all of their tents, all of their livestock. It was one big, massive animal people caravan moving across the land. And remember what God said all the way at the top? Let's go back up there and read it, okay? Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So God hadn't even told Abram where he was going yet. He hadn't even shown him yet. He simply told him to go. And so Abram just had to decide which way am I going to start going and trust God and then to begin to move in that direction. And this is a lesson in faith for us, is it not? Because so often we want the picture, we want the plan. God, give me the plan and then I'll obey. And so often God's word is, I want you to just go east or go west or whatever direction he's speaking. And as you go, I will lead you. Or maybe God is gracious and gives you the name of a place and says, go to this place. And you think, well, where in that place should I go? What should I do? Whose door should I knock on? Nope, you just go. Just head that direction. Go there. You'll get further instructions along the way. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. So now the first two times... God spoke to Abram. This third time, it says the Lord appeared to Abram. This is the first time in the Bible that God appears to someone. We call this a Christophany or a Theophany, a time when God himself appears to a man or to a person. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So as Abram was traveling, he came to the land of Canaan. They pitched tent, and while they were there, God physically manifested himself to Abram and says, I will give this land 
to your descendants. And so there we are told, Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now consider what God said. To your descendants I will give this land. Imagine hearing those words. Oh, who, Lord? We don't have any kids. When? When are you going to do this? How's it going to take place? To what extent of this land will we possess? The whole land or just a, a small piece? I'm sure there were questions. But the Lord simply said, here's the promise. I will give this to your descendants. And we know from Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, as it tells us that these died in faith, not having realized the promise. You see, sometimes God does give a promise that has a long timeline on it, a long effect. But either way, here was Abram's response to God's appearing to him. He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And what an amazing thing that God would appear to a man, appear to a person, so that they would have in their own understanding, God didn't, not only just spoke to me, but God appeared to me. God strengthened me, God encouraged me. And his response was the right response, wasn't it? It was to build an altar, it was to worship. It was to bow his knee before God. So he built the altar in Canaan, which was probably at the time one of the most pagan, idolatrous places that you could possibly be, and there in that place, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of pagan idolatry, there is where Abram built an altar to the Lord. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So he continued to travel, he continued to move, he came to this place called Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And then there was this other place on the east called Ai. Ai means ruin or heap of ruin. And notice that it says that he pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. So he pitched his tent between the house of God and heap of ruin. And I think this speaks to us of being between two worlds, doesn't it? That we constantly live in that tension between the house of God and the house of ruin. The world brings ruin. The house of God, the faithfulness of God, the presence of God brings blessing. So Abram camped between these two worlds, but we know that only one world truly mattered, although both worlds had a pull or a tug on his life. And so it is with us. As we follow Abraham's life, we know that the tent will define Abraham's relationship with this world. The altar will define his relationship with the next world. There's this tension between the tent and the altar for all of us. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Hebrews once again tells us that Abram and his family were looking for the heavenly country, the promise of God to be realized in the lives of their family. 
But we also know as we look at Abram's life, and we'll see this as we go along, that whenever he abandoned the tent and the altar, that's when he got into trouble. And we'll see some of that in just a few minutes as we continue on. Now when Abram built this altar here, the second time between Bethel and Ai, the language indicates to us that this was not a private prayer, this wasn't a little prayer closet worship service, but this, this was a, a public worship service, that he did this out in the open. And he did it in such a way that there was a public proclamation being made and that he did this likely so that others could see what he was doing. You see, the first time it would appear that he built the altar and he worshiped God, but it was privately, but the second time that it was publicly. Abram was effectively evangelizing or telling others about the Lord by having his worship service out in the open for all to see. So Abram once again uh, responds to the Lord in worship, but this time we're told not just that he built an altar in worship, but this time he called on the name of the Lord. Maybe I don't have to say it, but I will. It is so important that we call on the name of the Lord, that we ask God for help. We ask him for direction. We ask him for vision, for hope, for purpose. We need God to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. Abram is our example. When you build your altar, when you worship, don't just worship. Call upon the name of the Lord. In Hebrews 11, it says this, beginning in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, this is all to come, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we say our citizenship is in heaven, we are saying that we are spiritually minded. And we are reminded by these things that we have a dual citizenship on earth and in heaven, the tent and the altar. And heaven, our citizenship in heaven ought to make us better people here on earth. The spiritually minded believer is not attracted by the things of this world. He or she makes their decision on the basis of eternal values and not on the passing fads of society. To be spiritually minded simply means to look at earth from heaven's point of view. And we do this by building the altar. We do this by calling on the name of God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
The world and the system of the world is in ruins, but true believers have turned their backs on the world and have set their faces toward God's heavenly home. Now, Abram, in verse 9, journeyed, still going on toward the south. And as Abram had journeyed, he was moving along, and it seems at this point he may be going a little bit too far out of the direction of the land of Canaan. But he's living this nomadic lifestyle. And so as he is going further, he realizes um, that he has needs and his, his family is growing, his, his flocks are growing, things are reproducing. And they needed a place where they could spread out. We notice here as we read in this section in verse 4, 5, 6, 8, and 9, there are specific verbs that are used to describe what's happening in Abram's life. Here are the verbs. Verse 4, Abram departed. Verse 5, they departed. Verse 6, Abram passed through. Verse 8, he moved from there and pitched his tent. He built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. And then in verse 9, Abram journeyed. What's happening here? Abram had listened to the voice of God. He got out of the place where his father's land was and he began to move and trust God to lead him. You see, anytime God speaks to us, verbs are involved on our part. Action must be taken. We must do things to follow God in the way that he has called us to follow him. One person said, faith is not believing in spite of evidence, it is obeying in spite of consequence. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence, it is obeying in spite of consequence. Faith without obedience is dead, and action without faith is sin. Comfortable Christianity is opposite the life of faith. For pilgrims and strangers must face new circumstances if they are to gain new insights about themselves and their God. We are called to press on toward maturity in the Lord. You see, when we begin to take action, when those verbs take place in our lives, when we begin to, to obey the Lord, when we begin to have to move from a passive faith to an active faith, things will change. And here's the thing about us as believers. So many of us are risk averse, aren't we? We don't want things to change. We like the way things are. We like our routine of life. We like where we live. We like our jobs. We like the things that we're doing. But what if God wants to turn that upside down? What if he wants to challenge and to change those things in your life? Are you willing to let him speak to you and to change the way you live life? Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. Sometime after they had arrived and spent time in the southern part of Canaan, a famine forced them to move further south. Remember, they, their family and their clan was growing. And so this seems to be an indication perhaps of God's leading by pushing him further than he had anticipated. 
And God often creates uncomfortable situations and circumstances in our lives which cause us to do what we would not ordinarily do on our own. You may remember in Acts 16, as the Lord was speaking to and working uh, in the life of Paul and his uh, people that were traveling with him, it says there they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which is where they desired to go, but God shut the door there very clearly. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now we are going to see over and over and over as we go through the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, that God will lead them in these ways. He will allow circumstances to become incredibly uncomfortable. And he will, in a sense, push them to places that they never would have gone on their own. And we need to learn to let God lead us. And that when God makes things uncomfortable for us, often it's because he's speaking to us and causing us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. We need to allow God to leave us and not run away from the tests or the trials or the challenges of life. Again, someone said, don't try to run away from problems because it won't work. Because no matter where you go, you take your problems with you. Often we falsely think, if I leave and move away from whatever I'm dealing with, that as soon as I get there, the problem won't exist. But usually what happens is something else comes. When circumstances become difficult and you are in the furnace of testing, remain where God has put you until he tells you to move. Faith moves in the direction of peace and hope, but unbelief moves in the direction of restlessness and fear. In times of testing, the important question is not, how can I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? God is at work to build your faith. God alone is in control of circumstances. You are safer in a famine in his will than in a palace out of his will. It has been well said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And it came to pass, verse 11, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians will see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, and they will let you live. Now, Abram has departed from the tent and the altar. Now he, as they've moved into this new place, this new place of challenges, he all of a sudden here has switched to depending on himself, to depending on his flesh. And interestingly, as we enter Egypt with Abram, never once do we have recorded during his time in Egypt did he build an altar and call on the name of the Lord. 
that stopped when he entered this new phase of trials and difficulties in his life. And now he begins to reach out and he says to Sarai, his wife, the woman that God had given to him, the woman to whom he was to be leading and loving in the name of the Lord. And instead he says, you know what? They might kill me, so I want you to lie for me so that I might be made safe. You see, his, his focus shifted from others and from taking care of the flocks and the clan and all of that and leading this great uh, clan that he was now the head of and now he's concerned only about himself. Now one thing we should note here that Sarah was 65 years old or so at this point and she was so beautiful at 65 that he had to say, they're going to look at you and say, you are a hot babe and they're going to kill me because of you because Pharaoh's going to want to take you for his wife. I think that's pretty amazing to think that at 65 years old, she looked that good. And yet it tells us over and over here that she did look that good. See, Abram moved at this point from trusting to scheming. Doesn't Proverbs say, trust in the Lord with all your heart? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You see, by this point in Abram's life, God has spoken to him at least twice, appeared to him once. He's built altars. He's worshiped God. He's called upon the name of the Lord. And now, in this moment, in this trial, in this unique circumstance, all that's gone. He's put it all on the shelf. He's turned to scheming rather than to trusting and calling on the name of the Lord. When you move from trusting to scheming, worse things will come. When you run from one test or problem, you will surely run into another. Please say, verse 13, that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. You see, it was true she was his half-sister, same father, different mother. But it's been said before and it bears saying here, a half-truth is a whole lie. Abram moved from living in confidence of the promise that God had given him to living in fear by asking Sarai to lie for him. He should have been protecting his wife and leading her. He never should have put her in harm's way in this situation. Instead, he led her into a lie and to a snare rather than into the truth. Listen to this, the fear of God is the fear that conquers every fear. The fear of God is the fear that conquers every fear, meaning the holy reverence and awe that we have for God will overcome fear in our lives. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Do not lean on your own understanding. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. It happened just as he said. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. 
And what you may not realize when we read these things is that to have camels in that day would have been like you and I today having a limousine. It represented great wealth. Having camels, uh, in this case, represented the blessing of God in his life. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? And why did you not tell me that she was your wife? You see, God told Abram that he was to be a blessing and to bring blessing upon others, but because of his disobedience, because of his scheming, because of his lying, he has now brought judgment on the house of Pharaoh. Because of his disobedience, he's brought other people into a bad situation. You know, this makes me think of Jonah. Remember, Jonah was called by God very specifically to go to the Ninevites, who were descendants of the Assyrians, who were a ruthless and vile and brutal people. And remember, Jonah didn't want to go there. And he said, God, I'm not going. And he turned and he ran a thousand miles in the other direction, got on a boat and was trying to run away from God. And in that moment, God brought judgment on that boat and innocent people's lives were put in jeopardy because of his disobedience. And you remember what happened. God got him there anyway. He was thrown overboard from the boat. He was swallowed by a great fish. And God caused that fish to swim right up to the shores of Nineveh and barf him out on the beach and cause him to do what God had told him to do. And you know, it's been said, uh, and, and I agree with it to a point, that if we refuse to do what God's called us to do, then he'll appoint another. And I think that's true in some cases, but I also think it's true that if we resist the will of God, and God wants us to do it, and he makes us do it, then it's, God will still get the glory in the end, but our journey will not be one filled with blessing because we're, we're living in obedience to God. It will be one of just bitterness, like God made me obey him. And he never wants us to be in that position. And Abram here, because of his disobedience, has now brought judgment on the house of Pharaoh. And I wonder, as I read verses 12, 17 and 18, how did God speak to Pharaoh? Because Pharaoh obviously realized here something happened in his house and in his life where he said, obviously this woman is not free to become my wife. Obviously Pharaoh had potentially thought about that. He says, you know, what have you, this you have done to me? You know, I, he says in verse 19, why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore here is your wife, take her and go away, leave me alone. God had come and defended Abram and Sarah in spite of their lies and their foolishness. You see, God was in charge of their life, and God was going to bring it to pass. God was watching over them because the Messiah had to come through their life. The Lord somehow revealed to uh, Pharaoh that Sarah was Abram's wife. Now later, Abram will do the same thing again in Genesis chapter 20. Can you believe that? As traumatic and dramatic as this situation was, he does it again in Genesis 20, but we learn something in Genesis 20 that we don't know here. 
Genesis 20. Abram said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place where he had gone and they will kill me on account of my wife, but indeed she truly is my sister. She is the daughter of my father and not the daughter of my mother and she became my wife. Listen to this. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. And every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. So all the way back up front before they departed, Abram said to her, here's our plan, because you're so amazingly drop dead gorgeous. I know somebody's gonna kill me because of you. So wherever we go, I just want you to have sort of this standard line, just tell them you're my sister so they won't kill me. So already up front, he had already planned and schemed this before they ever went on their journey. Now one person said this, and I thought it was so important at this point, whatever you bring with you from the old life into the new life is likely to create problems. And as God had called them to go out and to trust him in faith, they brought this thing with them. They had their backup plan in place to protect Abram. And so here we have this amazing thing and I don't want us to miss this as we bring this to a close this morning. Notice that, that Sarai was being obedient to her husband. Let me read a passage of scripture to you. You can turn there if you like. It's in, found in 1 Peter chapter three. It says this, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible, incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, lowercase l, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah chose to trust in God in spite of what her husband told her to do. She was obedient to God even when her husband wasn't. Now this doesn't mean, ladies, that your husband can command you to do unrighteous or unholy things. It doesn't mean he has that right or has that kind of power over you. Indeed, as we go back and as we read Ephesians 5, God's call to the husband is to be the head and to lead with love, to lead in, to lead in grace, to lead in wisdom. But when you don't agree with your husband and when he does something boneheaded and you decide to follow him anyway, because you know God wants you to do these things and you do it, God will protect you. God protected Sarah. God recorded it in the New Testament for us that as we look back at these situations where Sarah did what Abraham said, even though it was unethical to say the least, God protected her. You see, if you and I as men and women, as husbands and wives, Regardless of what our mate or our spouse does, if we choose to follow the Lord and trust in him and pray for our spouse and say, God, I trust that you're bigger than what's happening right now in this situation, God can do it.
God can turn things around. So Pharaoh, verse 20, commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And it's interesting, we know that as he was sent away, that the Pharaoh gave him more things. He gave him more servants. He gave him more wealth as he left. And some would look at this situation and say, well, you know, it wasn't all that bad. I mean, God did protect him. You know, he didn't get killed. His wife, Sarai, was protected. God gave him more wealth, he gave him more servants. However, everything that Abraham walked away from Egypt with later ended up causing problems for him and his family. Because of their great wealth, Abraham and Lot could no longer live peacefully together. They had to separate, that's coming, as they continue to travel. Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, was given to his family here in Egypt by the Pharaoh. And this, this, la this lady, of no fault of her own, later brought division and sorrow upon Abram and Sarah and their marriage. Remember that she's the one through whom Abraham and Sarai scheme and they say, uh, we haven't had a, a child yet, so let's have a surrogate child through her. And through her, Ishmael was born. Having had a taste of Egypt, remembering that Abram was, a, was a, uh, a father figure and an example to his nephew, Lot. Having had a taste of Egypt, Lot, Lot started measuring his wealth and desiring a certain type of life and lifestyle. And when the time came for him to choose where they should go, we'll get to this in Genesis 19. Remember, he chose to go toward the big cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram went out to the plains. But we know what happened, don't we? In the life of Lot, he nearly lost his family, he lost his wife, and he barely got out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with his life as God rained down fire and brimstone and brought judgment on the place that he chose to live because of the influence of wealth and the influence of blessing. The fruits of disobedience can have lasting effects. So what are some of the lessons we might learn today? Well, to trust God as he leads and when he says, get out from your family and go, or he says something like that to us, we need to trust him. When we come to God and we say, yeah, but Lord, can I have just a little more information? Can you tell me when? Can you tell, tell me where? Can you tell me how? Can you tell me why? Instead, God says, no, but you have the promise that I will be with you. You have the promise that I will leave you. You have the promise that I know better than you, that I see the beginning from the end, that I am the alpha and the omega. You don't need to know. It's above your pay grade. If you've moved from trusting to scheming, today is a good day to turn back to trusting. Stay in fellowship with the Lord. Build altars as it were. Call on the name of the Lord. If you've disobeyed God and you feel lost, go back to that place where you last knew he existed. Go back to where you last had fellowship with him. Make things right. One person said the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. You will discover that when you trust the Lord, no test is impossible, no failure is permanent. Great lives are trained by great promises. 
We are not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by believing God's promises to us. How you and I respond to God's promises determines what God will do in our lives. You see, the life of faith demands total separation from what is evil and total devotion to what is holy. God tests us in order to build our faith and to bring out in us faith. The devil tempts us in order to destroy our faith and to bring out the absolute worst in us. When you walk by faith, you lean on God alone. You lean on his word, you lean on his character, you trust his will, you need his power. You don't isolate yourself from your family and friends, but you no longer consider them your first love or your first obligation. Your love for God is so strong that it makes family love look like hatred in comparison to love for God. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, the Lord wants us to follow him. He wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. He wants us to take his word seriously. He wants us to realize that apart from him, we can do nothing. There is nothing in our own strength that we can do that would ever bring glory to God. Only as we trust him in faith and follow him faithfully will he bless us. And listen, the Lord is gracious, isn't he? Haven't you seen, as I know I have, his blessing in your life in spite of your sin, in spite of your ignorance, in spite of your pride? I mean, you're sitting here today. You're, you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Your name's written in the book of heaven. What more do you want? You have the blessing of God. You have the smile of God looking down upon your life and mine. And God, like his call to Abraham, says to you and me, I have blessed you. Now go and be a blessing to others. You see, it's not a matter of what I can or can't do. It's a matter of what I will or won't do as I trust God and as I walk in faith. God, we thank you today for your promise to Abram. We thank you for this incredible story. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for speaking to us this morning. We thank you for the challenges that you've issued to us, Lord. And we pray that as we go forward and trust you in life, that we would learn some of these lessons. There's so many more as we continue to study the amazing life of Abram. Lord, thank you for how you are so patient with us. Thank you, Lord, that you don't judge us, but you love us. And God, we know that the day is coming for those who have not yet responded in faith to you and to your call when things will not be very pleasant for them. And so this morning, as we sit here in this time of, of closing, we pray for those people who are on our hearts and minds who do not yet know you. We bring them before your throne right now. And God, we wanna be a blessing to them by praying for them and by saying, God, please bring salvation to them.
Lord, whatever it takes to turn their heart and their mind and their soul to you right now, we ask that in faith. We know that you desire for all to repent, to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so based on your will and and on the truth of your word, we say these things. And Lord, we ask you this morning to fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. We pray that as we go forth, we would go forth and be a blessing to all people. We pray, God, for those this morning listening who may be wondering or maybe they've never trusted in you, that this would just become for them the moment where they say, Lord Jesus, I come to you, please forgive me. I want to know you, I want to be blessed. Lord, forgive my sins as I turn to you right now. And Lord, for those who are doing that, we ask that you would just confirm your love to them right now and bless them. And so as we sing a song, Lord, we ask that you would bless us as we go, make us a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and worship the Lord.